The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. It's the Growler with and Jay. Here to analyze for you today. From Growler Bad to Jay's Got Stats. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Growler Jay Morrison, how beautiful was that new Bengals Boys theme song? It's awesome. I'm just, uh, are you peaches and I'm herb or am I peaches <laughs> and you're herb? <laughs> I'm not sure, but we make damn good music together. Do we not? This is, I tell you, we're sitting here talking before the show and I'm like, look at this. Back in the saddle, going through the prep together, getting all our <laughs> stuff ready. This is what I have been thinking about and what I have been asked most about uh, over the last year, maybe than anything else is like, how can you get back with you, get you and Jay got to get back on the podcast together. Right. <laughs> said, don't I know it. Right. And now here we are. Here we are under, under the growler purview, our uh, new launch here to get me and you back together doing a weekly Bengals podcast. Uh, I, I am so excited. I'm pumped that we could make it happen and that you're back here with me. I am. I love it. I, I, I love the, the, the show I've been doing. I've, I've been loving the, the old podcast. You, I don't want to say, even say the name. I don't know if we're allowed to say the name, but um, it's, this is it. Yes, this is great. Uh, the, the more time that we can spend together, the better, as far as I'm concerned. I, I, I love it. So, you know, there's a trailer up now. Um, if people want to go listen to kind of the, the growler concept, which is, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, Mo and Dave Ninimitz and myself, Balds Don't Lie, every Monday. You guys got used to that show um, this past year. And then it's me and Jay here, kind of with the Beat Rider show. You guys know what it is. Uh, if you've been around, you you remember what Jay and I do and how it goes together. Jay's got stats, Arby's, lots of stories about sneaking into the Anthrax concert, the Hamilton Fairgrounds. You know what it is. So I, that's going to be a Wednesday show. And then Who Day Light every Friday, myself, comedian Mark Shalafoe. Um, it's I'm super excited about adding that to the mix. And so three times a week, we're going to have you covered uh, with the Growler. But this is kind of, you know, the old school. The Growler is sort of the baby of HTPG, mm-hmm. if you will. That's just why I liked the name. Uh, but it's like, you know, when the kid ends up being better than the dad, Ken Griffey Jr., maybe. Yeah. Uh, and so, hey, love the dad. Great player. But have you seen the swing on Jr.? It's kind of the way that I feel like the growler is going to be uh, now. And it's obviously going to grow as we get through this part of the season. And once we hit next season, man, I'm excited to see where everything's going to be at. We're going to get this thing humming. Yeah, I can't wait. And, and, and shout out I as an 
homage to Dave Ninemitz, who you were doing the show with before and still are the was it the day of or the day after I was let go at the athletic you Justin Williams C Trent um Dave Ninemitz you guys all took me out um Dave was kind enough to bring a gift and mm. what he brought me was a slipknot t-shirt <laughs> so I am wearing that today in honor of Dave not that I don't wear it all the time, but no, of course, no. Today. I mean, it's like it's what you sleep in. I imagine <laughs> just you put the headphones on, let Slipknot hammer in your ears, and just <laughs> float away into sweet dreams. Of course, you do. Uh, anyway, so thanks to uh, you know, thanks to the Bengals boys for our sweet intro. Uh, who they're back? They did all the intros for all these songs, killing it. Um, Thanks to our new group, Multitude, that we uh, are working with, who's helping uh, get uh, this whole thing rocking. And uh, we'll listen to you. If yeah. you have a business or something and you want to, hey, man, I'm in for being part of Paul and Jay's brand. I'd love to be part of it. Hey, hit me up and we'll get you in contact with our people and and, and we'll rock this thing. I love, I love uh, finding any local partners that are interested, but we're going to be, we're doing it. We're here uh, doing Bengals, and so you know, you know what that means. So we're gonna. So here we go. Episode one uh, is fresh off sort of uh, the week in Indianapolis last week, and I thought we, I, I think it's good to start um, with the fact that you just hear stuff, and and some of it is predictable, some of it is not. So I got I got four categories here. And we'll let's just let's just pick what we think lands under the idea of the thing we heard felt this way. I'll I'll uh let's throw it to you first. What do you think was one of the most impactful uh thoughts and things that, that you heard last week in Indianapolis? Yeah, it was it was it was more of a, a confirmation, I guess, than a than a breaking news kind of thing, but um we talked to offensive line coach Frank Pollock Wednesday afternoon, and he was he was talking about number one the difficulty of starting a rookie tackle, and, and number two where you can get the really good ones and, and where it's a crapshoot. And he 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 called it a line of demarcation. He's if you don't get one in the first twelve picks, there's really no difference between thirteen to thirty two. Um, and everybody knows the Bengals are not in the top twelve. They're they're at 18 and they rarely trade up in the first round. So it, it just, it almost cemented the case that yes, they are going to go get somebody in free agency that can be the day one starter. And then maybe the, maybe the, the number 18 pick, if it is an offensive tackle, still think defensive tackle might be more likely, but if it is an offensive tackle, that guy's going to have every chance to beat out the veteran, but you, you need to have that backup plan there. Um, Given what Frank said with the line of demarcation, also given this organization's history of drafting offensive linemen, backup plans are always a good idea. It's a great point. And that was something I heard a couple of times. I had I had one league person tell me, you know, where the Bengals are at 18, um, they, you'd probably rather even be at 28. You know, if there was and and so the I, I think the idea of trading back is interesting because under the exact same thing of what Frank said, and that is what's the difference? And the Bengals could use adding a pick or two, especially there's your there's your capital, there's your draft capital, man. Like 
if you're sitting there at 18 and you can move back into the mid 20s and add a, a late two early three with one of those teams um that's real appetizing uh you know however you can make the math or maybe there's a player that could get involved or something like that and you mentioned me, they don't move up, but it, it made me start to feel like, okay, just uh, the more you hear about it, the more people, cause it's the same thing. How many first round grade players are there, right? Mm-hmm. There aren't 32. And usually you hear somewhere, you know, 14 is a typical, like it's usually about half. Yeah. And some years there's a little more. Well, I felt like Frank spilled how many first round grades they have a little bit. <laughs> like, look, there's 12 of them. And so what's the difference after that? And I think there is. And I think some of those guys could slip. And they're certainly going to be sitting there wanting all the quarterbacks to come off the board. And you're going to want to see what all those offensive linemen means. You know, does that make some of them slip down the board? Or will it just be – I mean, there's a chance we see the whole top ten go off with all offense between quarterbacks, the offensive linemen, and the receivers. Receivers, yep. (laughs) So, I mean, those three dudes we know are going to go off in the top ten. I mean, you assume. And so what's left after that? You start talking about corner. You start talking about Bowers. You start talking about um, what's happening with Byron Murphy. Uh, You've got some edge, good edge people. But can they make it all the way to 18? And if they're not, none of those guys are there. I, you know, I think the Bengals are certainly listening. We know trade back. I would still be flabbergasted, Jay, if they traded up. It's just they yeah. just don't do it. And Duke is not giving up picks. Like he just hates he was flogging himself over like giving up a five. When he moved up three spots the Cam Taylor Britt year, he's like, oh, I just hate it. You know, he just it's the last thing that he wants to do. So for that fact, I, I don't see that as likely, but it did open my eyes to it do, sure does seem like they would be having real thoughts about maybe moving back and using that to add picks. And 18 is a weird spot. I, I went back, I went all the way back to 2010 and looked to see how many times pick number 18 was used in a, in a draft day trade. And there's only been four times in, in, in what the last 13 drafts or 14 drafts. Um, the last two were kind of weird situations. Two, 2022 was the AJ Brown trade. So you're talking about an established player pairing with picks. Uh, 2020, same thing. It was the Mika Fitzpatrick trade, Dolphins and Steelers. And so the last time you had a true trade down um, with an 18 pick was uh, Seattle traded 18 and a seventh rounder to Green Bay. And they went all the way back to 27 and they added an extra third, which was 76 and an extra sixth, which was 186. So that would be, you know, that's a upper third pick in the third round is what you could be looking for. Uh, if you're willing to move back, I don't know, if maybe 18 to 28, 18 to 27, maybe that's right in the wheelhouse where the Bengals would be looking. And, you know, you can also do a search of great players that have been picked between 17 and 20 and you'll sure. find some pretty awesome names. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, it's just, you got to be comfortable that somebody that you have, you know, it's good. It's a good chance to find somebody that maybe you're, staff believes in more than most of the league is is where you end up there you know because the consensus probably is 12 uh but what are those extra three or four that maybe you would give a first round grade to that not a lot of other teams did that because they fit you 
particularly well. And I think that's what you end up with 18. And that's where you hope to be Minnesota drafting Justin Jefferson, right? Like you just like, Oh man, look what fell into our laps here. Um, and, and hope that it works out for you. So I, I, I do think that's, that's interesting is this is where you start to get a good feel for how the rest of the league is viewing the true blue chips. And I do think you were getting a feel that nobody thinks there's 18 first round grade guys um, in, in this draft. Um, mine would probably be the state of the T Higgins situation in that one, I thought there would be more movement um, in the, in the conversations being had behind closed. I, I thought you'd hear more about potential teams that are interested. There wasn't a lot, you know, if you're anybody I talked to, I know I, I, you, you weren't hearing much about teams that are, that are interested in that. And that stuff can pop out of nowhere. I mean, Orlando Brown and free agency, right? right? I mean, just like, oh, somebody walks down the hallway uh, and says, hey, do you think you have interest in Orlando Brown on the Tuesday of the league here? Like, it can happen um, where you don't see it coming. But I, I thought there would be a little bit more scuttle about team interest and, and potential trade. There really, there really wasn't. It just really felt like everybody kind of knows where this is going, and that's – you would have to totally blow the Bengals away to actually acquire yeah. T Higgins. They tagged him because they want to go for it this year with him at 21.8, kind of the end. And and Duke and Zach certainly did not want to put anything out there to detract teams from talking to them and bringing any offers and anything that might be going on on the other side with T and his people. Uh, so they're not going to say anything, but I thought the vagueness of what they were doing was just that of might as well keep the possibility open. And it sounded from those that I talked to that that's kind of how the rest of the league viewed it too, is they're just keeping the possibility that someone does something crazy open to them. But for the most part, everybody feels like they know where this thing ends. And that's with five, one and nine rolling out there in the opener. Yeah. And that was kind of the reaction to those, those interviews on Tuesday was people were, maybe thinking, oh, they're, they, they, they want to trade T. And that, that is not the case at all. It's just, like you said, it has to be an offer that's going to blow them away. They talked about it. They they tagged him for a reason. They want him to here. They want him to play here this year. And it just they, it just wasn't the, as staunch as last year where the, if you want a guy, go get your own. That, yeah, if someone wants to offer a crazy deal, they, they would take that. But um, I think the, the, the quote that stood out to me the most about that was when Duke set a bird in the hand like they yeah. know what they have in T Higgins. Even if you get a great offer and you say, you're going to go draft a, a wide receiver in the first round or what, whatever it is, you, you just, even if you have first round grades on guys, it's still a crapshoot. You just never know. Number one, how the guy's going to pan out, how he's going to fit in the locker room. They love everything about T from his production to his work ethic, to, to how he meshes with this group, the, the anti diva attitude that, that he and Chase going all the way back to the AJ Green era. Um, it, it's just, it, it, it was a little surprising at first, the, the way they kind of left that crack, but it, it made sense because they don't want to dissuade teams from who, who maybe are starving for a guy like T Higgins to come blow them away with an offer. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right, let's go next to uh, maybe the thing that most made you form a new Bengals take. What do you got? You know, so go on to the combine. I think we were all the same mindset that that they were Joe Mixon is 
there was a sliver of a chance that you always, you never say never that we all felt the cut is coming, but there was, you, you just, you never know. Mike Brown's got this loyalty. I think he's got a soft spot in his heart for Joe Mixon, but the, the way Duke and Zach were talking, it was, it was almost like a tribute video kind of thing. Like if Joe <laughs> comes back with another team it, and, and the one, the question to do or to Zach, if I remember right, was, was posed in the past, like what has Joe, Joe meant to you? So he went with that, but it, it did. It, it was surprising how much they, they Duke always falls on the well. He's under contract, and we'll see what happens. And it, it didn't feel like he was going that way with it, where he was kind of doing the same thing, just thanking Joe for all he's done for them. And it it felt maybe fifteen percent, I would say, going into the combine chance that Joe would be back, and it. It feels like that's under 10% now. Never say never. You never know. But I was a little surprised that the the, the way they addressed it, where they didn't just kind of leave it open. And and, and Duke did say, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to get into how we, we build the roster and philosophy and all that. But they said enough to, to make it seem even more likely that they're going to part ways with Joe. Yeah. I mean, there was no defending. You know, we think Joe is still a great back in this league. We obviously would want him back, which are things that you do hear about other players. Um, you know, we heard that about what DJ reader. Uh, we heard that about you know, and, and a guy who you should have similar questions about in terms of how much can you still get out of DJ reader? But you know, we, that wasn't the message that was put out there about Joe Mixon. Um, I, I and so for that reason, I, you know, I, I would agree with you. I still just, I still also believe that they're not lying in that I don't think that that decision has been finalized. Um, it obviously hasn't. It's not out there yet. But I, I mean, I just think they still have, it still has to make its way to the final decision making stamp. And until that happens, I, I, I'm just n- not going to say anything for certain because, again, last year we certainly felt like, that's the direction it could go or would go. And so, but you know, the March 17th at your $3 million roster bonus day does approach. So we know when we're going to know by, but I, I didn't, that I think that was the only thing was there was a, an impression there of, well, the, you know, the, the paperwork hasn't been signed. The decision hasn't been verbalized it, that it's final yet. It is kind of, I think the one thing where you keep that in your back pocket of, um, no matter what we're hearing from people or what they're saying in front of us or to anybody else that, you know, that still kind of hangs out there. So that's the, that was my only other side of the mixing thing. Otherwise, I mean, I've, I've written, it's out there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Duke said that, they, that, that, that clause is in the, the contract per Joe's agent's request and the Bengals wanted it in there. And it's, it's four days. They will have four days to sign a running back in, in free agency before they have to make that decision. So, yeah, that, that final decision could be based on what happens in free agency. If they don't end up getting anybody, maybe it's worth the $3 million to, to keep Joe around because uh, yeah. you, you don't know how the draft is going to play out either. We saw that last year. We thought for sure going to take a tight end. Didn't work out that way. So I think if they get get somebody they feel really good about in free agency, then then that will cement the decision make it easier for yeah. you know, certainly um you could you could you could see that happening but that i mean 
Nobody. The reason that's there is nobody wanted to replicate what happened last offseason where it just went on and on. It was in the news and it's just, just like, ugh. You just it's not good for it was not good for anyone the way it went down last year. And it left the Bengals kind of sitting there a little bit um, over the course of that time, not really making a move when maybe they could have in the, in the summer because there was uncertainty about what exactly was happening. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Mine. Um, mine was kind of all about the defensive back conversation. Um, it, it, it certainly I mean. Dax Hill is not somebody that we haven't discussed, and and I know that we've all talked a lot about what are they going to do with him. But I just thought about how clear it was. Like we are, they you know what you know what was Jay about it the whole thing to me. They felt like a team with something up their sleeve. Like it just felt like they have some. We're in the process, seeing how it plays out. Not going to commit to anything. It felt like they've got some ideas and they've got some things they might want to do and they don't want to go saying anything until they see what happens if something better comes along. So there's a couple of different things there, right? I mean, there's maybe they're obviously going to be looking around the free agent safety market. That's not necessarily a shock, but I think you can take it as if they can find somebody better and then maybe that's when they move Dax to another position to make them feel like they're getting more out of him, um, knowing that they only want him to do one spot. Maybe it's something creative, you know? And again, this is something I'll just say off the cuff when I'm talking about creative, and this is not anything that anybody mentioned to me, but like, who knows? Maybe Carolina's like, we could get Javon Bell back. Uh, we got new coaching staff here that they don't want to invest in safeties and they're trying to clear cap. Like, again, that's not something I'm saying like I heard or anything, but you never know what kind of creative stuff that could be happening behind scenes somewhere. They could be trying to find ways. Guys are getting cut. Well, Marcus May just got cut. And, and these other – Kevin Byard got cut. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of safeties out there. So they could be waiting on that. I mean, go back to Von Bell showing up in the first place. The reason he's in Cincinnati was they never thought there was any chance in hell he would be available. And next thing they know, they're sitting there on day whatever of free agency saying, how is Von Bell still out there? And it turns out there was – Issues with him and his people and the Saints people. And the Bengals swooped in and scooped. And he came right in and helped change the face of their defense in that position. So I think they're just, they're looking, okay? Maybe the more surprising part about it is is kind of, I think the cornerback element is in there too. Uh, with what is DJ Turner? Like, is he the guy? They they really like him. I mean, Duke lit up like a Christmas tree talking about him, but you heard Luana Rumo like, and DJ Turner's just gotta be better. I mean, he the Mike Hilton line he used of <laughs> of you know, he didn't he didn't just hit the rookie wall, the rookie wall hit him. Uh and pointing out that he it's gotta be better from that spot. And so sounded like somebody who'd like to see some more competition and they need another corner over there anyway. I just think all of that, they're looking. I think they're very aggressively saying this back end was a problem. If we can find some veterans that are good communicators that have that savvy, it could be a direction they're willing to go. I will let you guys be the judge real, real quick. And then Jay, um, it, you can kind of come back and, and talk off that for a second, but here is Duke and Lou Anarumo from the combine talking a little bit about this situation.
Yeah, we like both those young players, and they're uh, they're both pretty versatile, which um, you know is a positive when you're playing in the uh, in the backfield. You know, Dax is really versatile, so finding the best role for him uh, to maximize his his skill set would be something that you know we're working on this off season, and, and how best to utilize him to uh, to to show off his range and his size and his speed and his uh, his toughness and all the things that he has. Uh, same thing with Jordan. What's the best role for him, and uh, and how does he fit within the defense? And is who's the communicator? And all those things are things that that we go through in the off season, and that Coach Lewell will try to fit together the best that we can. But both those players are young, talented, uh, and and have shown that they uh, belong in this league. Did, did you learn anything, Duke, from the Vaughn Jesse experience happening simultaneously last year? Um, I don't know that I learned anything. You know, you have to reboot sometimes, and uh, and uh, that's just the way this league is. And uh, not everybody stays. Uh, you can compete to, to keep guys, and sometimes they leave and you move on. And we're not uh, a team that uh, is has been the only one dealing with that. There are other teams dealing with that. It seems like the system is set up to encourage players to move around, and uh, and we try to combat that, but it doesn't always work, and uh, so we're prepared to go forward with other guys when that happens. Could Dax move to corner? Is that an option for you guys on the table? Yeah, I, I wouldn't uh, go into all of the off-season plans, but Dax can play corner, Dax can play nickel, Dax can play free safety, and Dax can play strong safety, and just finding the best fit, that'll be up to our defensive coaching staff. And, and Zach to uh, to determine you know where where can this guy help us the most um, win football games uh, he can do an awful lot and, and we're happy to have him. Young guys on the back end, how do you think that they when you went back and look, how do you think that they did? Obviously, you have a lot of young youth back there. Yeah, I, I think they played like young guys, and um, you know we all wanted it to be better players, coaches uh, for sure. Again, there was there was things that were really good. Um, at times, but it goes back to what just wasn't consistent enough, and you know, next year will be better for sure. What's Dax's spot next year? Is he safety, or, or is that something that you're open to moving? Yeah, I mean, we're still looking at everything. I yeah. think we look at not just Dax, but everybody last year. Yeah. When you have a year where it wasn't quite up to standard, I think it's just something that you evaluate and hey, is this guy going to be better here or there, but not, not anything in particular there. He can, he can do all of it, so it gives you gives you the options of considering things, I guess, right? I mean, well, just because he's so freaky yeah. physically, you know. Yeah, I think he, you know, it's you got to he's got to be good at one thing, yeah. and so uh, that's what we're we're working on now is being good at one thing. So how important is the one? How important is that for a young guy to have him in the one spot? You know, he's athletic to maybe try all these different things, but to get him. To be a master at one versus a Well, again, I think it's a let's let's go back a little bit. You know, he's still a young player in a lot of regards. He was only a second year, played a handful of snaps his first year. Um, so I think his development and his upside is still huge, and nobody's down on the guy at all. Uh, I just we just have to make sure that he's honed in and making sure he's uh, uh, being able to do the things that we're asking him to do, wherever that may be. I think the line that stood out to most of me was Lou saying he's got to do one thing good. And you can't, you can't just have him be this positionless player and move him around. And so is it another change? I just, I don't, I don't think that's best. I, 
Yes, he wasn't what he needed to be last year, but it felt like that was it, there was nothing physical involved there. It was it was learning the position. It was learning his. I mean, what ten games with Nick Scott, and then seven with Jordan Battle, and it just trying to get his his bearings. And it, it just seems like you're gonna you're gonna stunt his growth again if if you move him to another position. He that was a, a problem rookie year where he was playing all over the place um, while Jesse Bates was was out. Um, it just, I don't know, to me, I wouldn't, and, and another reason they could be vague, not so much that they don't know, it, they, they don't want to tip their hand in any way in which way they're going to go in free agency, which way they're going to go in draft. Uh, you can kind of see where the dominoes fall if they were to commit now to where he was going to be. The one thing Lou did say is no, that he's not going to be the slot corner that Mike, that's Mike Hilton's job. They would not consider moving him. To, to play safety, even though he does line up in a safety role at times. But it just it, – it, it feels like he, he he deserves another year at safety and, and see if him and Jordan can start building some of that camaraderie and chemistry and and getting rid of all these explosives, which most of them were, were mental and communication-based and not physical failings. You cannot go that route without – some kind of a insurance policy, right? A quality veteran safety that is pushing him, maybe competing with him uh, for that spot. Um, if you are going to keep him, I just, we can talk about youth and, and Lord knows we did ad nauseum, but I don't know how you can say a guy who played more snaps than anybody in the regular season over a thousand snaps last year. And by the end of it was making day one errors mm -hmm. that were called out by the coaching staff that you're confident that it'll be better when he just has the next seven months to think about it. And, and, and I, I look, I I'm here to bet on development and I'm buying the young guys make mistakes stuff. I am. Um, but if it's a, if, if they feel like it's a thing where the, the, the the load in game that is put on that position is one of the highest mentally of everything and and this is not it's it some guys just don't do as well with that and that was part of the projection with Dax that's not saying anything about him as a player or football player or anything if they feel like it's simpler for him to use his athleticism to say go cover this guy see if you can do this through an offseason program through camp dig into that we think that could be the best place for you to get the most out of who you are, then maybe that's what it is. And I, and, and I mean, they think he can do it. The day he was drafted, that was said mm -hmm. about him. You just heard Duke Tobin say he can play outside corner. He can play nickel. I've heard that every step of the way with Dax Hill. Um, that's the way they view him as a possibility down the line. Um, they would prefer him to be safety. One of the harder parts about a Jay. I think they might have three guys whose best position is nickel. <laughs> DJ Turner might DJ be Turner, yeah. that best at nickel. The same with Dax and obviously with Mike Hilton. And it becomes a little bit of a log jam in that regard. Well, how, how do you make all of this necessarily work? And I think that truly is something that they're trying to work through. And does that mean we see more team periods and 11, 11 on 11 periods in OTAs. Cause there's, there hasn't been a lot of that. And 
that that's something you can't wait to training camp to start figuring it out. It, it, they've got to start working on it in in this this spring. At a certain point, I mean, you know, this is the problem with it, right? Is that you can do it all you want when you got your veteran team that goes out there and you play well. And, but if you're going to talk about how communication and youth and all of these things were what cost you last season, well, then you can't waste those opportunities. Hmm. Like I'm all for their philosophy of keeping guys fresh or whatever, but how about a couple of seven on seven reps for the starters in the, over the course of the entire OTAs and there weren't any. I mean, and so you, that aren't walkthrough mode. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like really try, really gives something. I mean, do we really think that 20 plays on June 8th is going to have them tired on December 18th? I'm not saying do it every day. I'm not saying you're doing it for hours at a time. I don't got them out there pushing sleds, but you can run some seven on seven, a little more full speed with your kids. And so I, yeah, I, I thought you asked that. That was a great question. And one that I think everybody has there in the back of their mind with however this thing um, lands. Um, we could go into that more. I'm sure we will. We can, <laughs> we'll be dissecting it till we're blue in the face, but it certainly I, to me, it now becomes the most interesting part of free agency because I think we know they're going to be aggressively attacking the def interior defensive line. We know they're going to be in the right tackle market. Like we, we, these are things I feel like the safety, maybe even corner, but safety thing is the one thing that can really change the direction of where they're going um, defensively over, over the course of the entire offseason. So fun thing to watch. All right, uh, next category. Um, what was the most surprising thing uh, for you, Jay? Well, um, I I don't know. You, I know you're going to touch on Osai. I was the opposite of that, where last year at this time, they were all talking about Zach Carter making this huge leap, mm. and they, you know, they he changed positions. He he adjusted his body. I mean, when Lou was running through his D line, he didn't even mention Zach Carter's name. Now maybe he forgot. I, maybe it could have been, but it just it surprised me that there was zero mention of him because it's it's their biggest hole. I mean, he's a guy on the in the interior of the D line that you have under contract for two more years. And you're talking about how you need to rebuild that position. And for, and he, they, Lou talked about it at every position at every spot where the young guys, they believe in him and they, they, they like the direction they're going. And for him to not even mention Zach Carter, that just, that surprised me. And like I said, it could be an omission. Maybe, maybe he thought he'd already said his name or what it was, but it, it stood out to me where I even went back and listened again. Like, did I hear that right? Did he forget him? And he did forget him or left him out on purpose. Yeah, I mean, I think they feel like they they fought the good fight with Zach Carter. I mean, I I was team Zach Carter this time last year. He was doing all the right. He really cared. He changed his body. There was a lot of reason to believe that he would come in and, and become the player they thought he would be. And he even self-admittedly said he didn't do that. And and I you don't, you know. You don't need anybody else to tell you that if you watched any of the games. I mean, he never became and I think they just don't think it's going to happen for him. Um, and if it does, it's a pleasant, he's there, he is under contract, but he's fighting for his roster spot. You know, I don't, he, he's certainly not safe because I expect to see a lot of new faces in that room and that could push him all the way out. And I think they view it as like, look, if he does something, 
because he's feeling the pressure and it turns him into a better player out of, out of nowhere. Cool. But they're not counting on it for a second. It's kind of what all that, because I feel the same way as you. Like, I, I don't think he's even thought of as part of the conversation. I've never mm-hmm. really heard his name really come up anymore. Whereas last year, it was the biggest risky bet they made. They yeah. bet on the development of Zach Carter and uh, it, and it failed him in a big way. Um, yeah. Mine was Joseph Osai being mentioned in positive terms <laughs> it was unbelievable i was like wait did you just did you just say jo- joseph osai he really excited about him and he's there every day and he repeated every day mm. he's there he's healthy he's not rehabbing anything i'm so excited to see it and i'm like i didn't even know this <laughs> dude was allowed to like be in your eyesight for fear <laughs> of some physical attack like it's unbelievable. Everybody said, what's going on with Joseph Osai? And it's always been like, I, I don't know. It just seems like Lou's just not feeling him. And it does usually go back to the injury stuff. And maybe he's maybe he kind of got caught wind of how it looks like he's really put Joe in the doghouse. But um, it was the other way for the first time. And so I thought that was interesting. Maybe he was just his way of saying, hey, Joseph Osai, I see you. I see you being present. I see you doing the right things. And more of that, please. Maybe that's all that was because it was pretty unsolicited. I don't think like we've asked, we've tried to ask Lou about it so many times. I don't even think we're just worn out by it anymore. Like we, what's going on with Joseph Osai? He's just goes the same spiel, but this time he just kind of threw it out there. And so that was pretty, it's not huge, but I was like, whoa, that, that wasn't, wasn't expecting to hear that. I wasn't expecting to hear that. The total um, pivot. And I, I mean, that all the guys that are there every day are guys that are rehabbing stuff, yeah. basically. And for him to say he's there and he's not working on anything, um, it, it did it spoke volumes. Yeah, that's another part of free agency. These guys are under like DJ readers there all the time now, and, and other guys that are hurt. Once you're a free agent, you can't come in the building anymore, which is interesting with Reader because if he's rehabbing now, I mean, he can go anywhere rehab, but like there's a lot of comfort in being there and being around Mm -hmm. those people help you through injury rehab and he's using the tubs and whatever. So like, um, anyway, I I thought that's kind of an interesting part of, of reader, which I know we'll talk about him in in a little bit, but, um, as he goes in through a very uncertain free agency period. Um, all right. Last one here, which, Thing made you want to open a spreadsheet this is just for you jay uh i know everything kind of makes you want to open a spreadsheet yeah. but what one really made you want to open a spreadsheet so it made me want to but i have not yet so and actually not open one but create one but i, I am i want to take a look and, and maybe i'll have this on the next next episode but uh the history of wide receivers that have played under the franchise tag what their numbers look like the year before the tag on the tag and then after the tag and you know t's got a, a great chance to to shoot his numbers up just because he he missed so many games due to injury last year but you know they they, they don't like being tagged they, they don't like the whole process and do does that affect performance i don't think it will with t but i am interested to see what history it says about that it's a great it's a great question i mean it's the ultimate contract year uh, if you're worthy as a receiver of being paid that kind of one year money, um, you certainly know what you're worthy of getting the next year when you hit the open market potentially. And so, and for him, you know, I think a lot of this is, is going to tie back to, to, um, you know, can you just go play a full healthy season? And 
and and play a thousand snaps or whatever, get over nine hundred. I mean, he could use that. You know, the same way we've talked about, we used to talk about Jonah Williams that way. Like he just needed to play a full, healthy season. And Jonah admitted that at one point. Like I just want to stay healthy through a full year. And he really reversed that trend. I mean, he he became kind of a stable, available guy. But I do believe that you know availability is a big reason why the Bengals have been unwilling to go there with T in the long-term range. I, I, I think that's a significant part of their decision-making process here. Um, and so for any team to be looking at him, uh, I, I think that's something that, that to me, that would be the most important number for him next year, more than any number that he could put up would be how many snaps he played. Um, all right, for the next one, I, I would say – it would be can't wait to put all these combine size numbers and power numbers in because sure heard a lot about, you know, needing to be bigger and stronger and more powerful in the trenches. And we know they've leaned that way offensively uh, on the offensive line in particular in, in recent years. And it really feels like that's the direction that they want to go with anybody they're adding, but in specifically that right tackle position is looking for the just big, strong, powerful Orlando Brown type, even if overly, because it's all about certain types of pockets for that. I want to bring in uh, Dan pitcher who kind of talked about some of this offensive line stuff and the idea of the bigger guys and where that group uh, is at. And so we'll hear Dan and kind of come back and talk a little bit about what he had to say. Is there room to grow there? Absolutely. But you can say that about every single position. Um, we love the makeup of those guys. We love the character. We love the toughness. We love the want to. Um, and it's our job as coaches to to put them in the best positions so that we as an offense can have success. I feel really good about that. I think you know Frank's done a great job assessing last year taking a look at, you know, what are we doing in the run game moving forward? We got a same thing on offense or on the pass game now. We got to decide, you know, maybe what are some things protection-wise that we can do to give us more chances to create those explosive plays. But I think that the line as a whole played well. Can we get better? Absolutely. Um, and I know those guys are working hard right now to do that. But you guys have really leaned into the bigger, more powerful offensive linemen, you know? Yeah. Is that... When you assess things, is that something that you still look at and say, I, I still think that is where we're at our best, or do you reevaluate that and maybe, maybe we should open ourselves up to more, a little bit smaller, more athletic types? I think when you have an elite quarterback, which we have, first and foremost, you solidify the pocket. And how do you solidify the pocket? You solidify it with strong, tough interior three that are smart, that can pass off games, that can pick up pressure packages, and we have that. We've done that. And so if that's step one, then you decide what do those guys do well in the other phases of the offense. And I, I believe that that's the intelligent way to go about constructing our roster based on the quarterback that we have. Uh, does that mean that we can't squeeze more out in certain areas? No, we're going to try to squeeze everything we can. Um, but I think you, you got to be careful not to just think that the grass is always greener. Well, we got to get more athletic. We get more athletic. And then you give up more push in the pocket. Well, we got to solidify the center of the pocket. Okay, so now you get a little less athletic. There's not a bunch of guys walking around that are great at everything. That's the reality that we're faced with. That's why we're here, we're trying to find those guys. Those guys get picked in the first round. Um, you know, and, and hopefully we got an opportunity to add some of those guys. But 
I feel good about you know how we built that unit and how we're going to be able to move forward. How value? What do you think when you come? I don't know how much deep you looked at the tackles yet. You have a class like this where it's like there's like eight of these massive dudes that everybody wants. It's like yeah, it's got to be refreshing to know because it's there's been a scarcity in the league. It's those sure, sure, yeah. You know, I think. I'm, I'm really now kind of just diving into that, and um, you know what I've seen so far is encouraging. I think I think there's going to be you know at least a handful of guys at that position that are going to be good pros. Um, I also know projecting success at that position. First of all, projecting success at any position. If you have the formula, give it to me because <laughs> I, I can I can give this job up and make make a ton of money. Um, but particularly that position, the physicality comes with that, you know, of, of lining up against, you know, you look at our division and, you know, the Cam Haywards of the world, the Miles Garretts, the T.J. Watts, you know, like, they, they're not playing those guys. Even in the SEC, they're not playing those guys. Um, so, all that being said, is it a promising group? I believe so. And... So, I mean, you hear it there. It's, I mean, they're all projections, but, you know, I, I the common, the common thing I think criticism that the Bengals have received in their drafting failures of offensive linemen. And we've certainly levied them. If people look at it now and say they're not getting athletic enough guys, they're, they're, they're getting these, these big guys that have had terrible RAS scores, you know, math bombs going to be crushing them and twirling mm-hmm. his mustache. Uh, and, 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 and that's true. Like, I mean, they have Orlando Brown who had one of the, I mean, that drags him down. He had like one of the worst combine scores ever. Um, and guys that maybe weren't considered the greatest athletes, but then you hear their other side of it is that they believe the bigger, stronger, anchored, powerful guys, maybe not as athletic, um, are a better fit for Joe Burrow. And that's why they're leaning that way. And, and so that's kind of the other side of their explanation of why when you look at a lot of the guys that they take, they're not going to be lighting it up. You're not going to be admiring the offensive lineman 40 or shuttle time and all that stuff. And maybe that's their fault. Maybe it's the reason why a lot of these guys are busting, but that's where their philosophy is right now. And if you even look beyond the draft, if you look at free agency, there's a six, seven, 360 pound free agent who has played for Frank Pollock before Makai Beck. I mean, he's that in, he's got the T Higgins issue. The availability thing is a question. But he is a guy that would would seem to fit what what they're looking for, prototype prototype wise. But um, yeah, I I get what he's saying. What you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And w- what suits Joe Burrow the best? And and you he is yes, he's had the calf injury, he's had the other injuries, but he's still a very mobile quarterback. And going that route, going just doing what you do well, building it a certain way. I think is the way to go. And like he said, those those guys that can do it all are in the first round. And as Frank said, well, yeah, they're in the first round, but they're in the first 12 picks of the first round, and they're not yeah. picking in the first 12 picks of the first round. Maybe. You never know. Maybe one of their guys, <laughs> and maybe they're sitting on one of their guys that they think will be there and and slip down to them. But either way, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a ton. There's a ton um, uh, that that certainly you could make a pretty good case uh, for being both being what they're looking for, both being athletic and being massive hulking guys. And I think that's where you can maybe could be there in. That's where somebody that's a better fit for them, but not for the rest of the league could end up at 18. And if, if that's, you know, where they're, where, where it goes. And who, so, so who knows playing time between now and then, but a little bit more insight into you know, the, the offensive line 
situation. All right. Well, we wouldn't be back together if we couldn't do some Jay's got stats time. Right. I, I like, I I'm ready for it. I've never been more ready for anything else <laughs> in my life. Uh, what do you got? Well, I mean, we've talked about it uh, in the past quite a bit, but the, 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 the amount of draft capital they've spent on the defensive side of the ball recently rounds one through three, they they've had their, their last six picks have all been, defense and it even goes beyond that but just these last two years so I was curious what's the record for three years in a row most defensive guys they've taken in the first three rounds um and I wish I knew how they came up with this this capital but from uh 85 to 87 they had 12 picks that what? were defensive guys they had four they had 14 picks in rounds one through three in those three years and 12 of the 14 were defensive guys. The, the, the two outliers were Tim McGee and Eddie Brown. So yeah, if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to have an outlier, you, you better make sure you hit on them. Um, so yeah, I don't know what they were doing to acquire those extra picks back then. They, they currently are, they currently have three picks in the first three rounds. So if they go defense, defense, defense again, which I don't think they will, but even if they did, they'd be sitting at nine. They'd only be 75% of the way to the record. Um, but it would be nine for nine if they did go defense, defense, defense again. You're making me want to pull out the media guide and go to the trades page and see yeah, I, what it was that. Um, was there a Jack? Was it a Jack Thompson trade? I'm trying to think like, man, I got to go back to when I was three. And I, I know a decent amount about those teams, but I didn't realize that they had acquired that kind of draft capital at that at that point in time. I, I here we go. That feels like an like an oral history of how <laughs> they ended up over the course of three years. Uh, but good for good for them. Good yeah. for them. Um, hey, and you know what happened a few years later? That's exactly right. Went to the Super Bowl, and a lot of those defensive guys they took were a big part. J Jason Buck, Eric Thomas, uh, Joe Kelly, Lewis Billups, David Fulcher, Wow, Carl Zander, Manuel wow. King, yeah legend almost the whole SWAT team on there yeah. um all right that's see the good stuff it's so good to have that back <laughs> in my life need a good jay's got stats oh it's good stuff um so of course you know we always did the growler bet and now we're whole shows the growler and so that has to stay yeah. and usually we don't do one uh in the off season it's they're harder to do usually about something that's going to happen that weekend but I feel like, Jay, we are good enough to come <laughs> up with bets, okay, for stuff that's going to happen in the offseason over the course of any weekend uh, that we can still do it, even if it's not in season yet. So that said, um, which is a good chance for us to remind everybody that, guess what? This isn't the only show that Jay and I are doing together again. The walkout's back. I mentioned mm -hmm. that in the trailer. I want to make sure people know when we get to the season, the walkout's back. I don't have to... uh hear from any of y'all that when y'all thought well, I was having a stroke because the AirPods weren't any good, I was really <laughs> concerned about the state of the walkout. And so I'm glad I don't have to do the live room style walkout stuff anymore. But Jay and I back in that one's going to be a lot of fun too. But so with the growler bet though, it's got to stay. I was thinking a good, you know, we're pre-free agency. I thought a good one to do because there's, there's one particular person who, it's really hard to say when he'll sign. It could be most of them, you know, it'll be in the first week or in that second wave. 
DJ Reader is a such a weird case because of his injury. Uh, you feel like a lot of people are going to be wary of that. Maybe want to see a little bit more about how he's doing. Maybe it makes him push past the second. Maybe he waits specifically to go through those waves to be able to better show his bill of health. And maybe that will help him then get the deal he feel likes, feels like he deserves. So I thought, how about the day DJ Reader signs? Okay. And if you say he's going to sign in March, you got to say who? Who signs him? So if you think the Bengals are going to sign him on the first day of free agency, then I guess that's a guess you can make. Um, but the day that you think that DJ Reader signs and with who? Maybe we're just going to end up giving out a million beers for the our podcast launch here. Maybe this is too easy. Maybe he'll time maybe he'll, day. Maybe he'll sign on Wednesday. Maybe he'll sign at four oh one. And 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 this is the day the signing breaks. So verbal, you know. Schefter, me, Jay, whoever uh, puts it out there, that's when that's when it counts. All right, Jay, do you have a, a, a thought? I do. I'm I'm going July 16th, the day after the franchise tag deadline passes. Just not more, not so not tied to the franchise tag as much. Just I mean, if somebody's going to sign DJ Reader, he's going to have to pass a physical. As great as, as as great as his rehab looks like it's going, I don't know if he can pass a physical already. That that injury happened in December. It's only been three months. That's like a nine month recovery typically for that that injury. So, if a team's going to give him a lot of money, which you would think would be the case if if they're signing him early, he'd have to pass a physical. I just I think this is going to drag out, and I think. I know you said if they if you sign in March, pick the team. I'm so I'm going to pick the Bengals as a team. I just think that's the most likely. That's the if it goes that long, they're the ones. And I'm sure a lot of people were thrilled to see DJ Reader courtside with with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Sam Hubbard and like oh they're keeping the band together. Um, I just I think it's going to play out. I and I, I think that's that's the best news for the Bengals. If if it gets that long, everybody's already spent all their money. Um, the Bengals notoriously hold money back anyhow. Maybe they hold a little bit more money back just on the off chance they are able to do something with T. I don't know, but get about a week or so, week to two weeks before training camp and make the move. I'm not, I don't have no idea what the 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 money, the contract is gonna look like, but that's gonna be my pick is July 16th with the Bengals. Uh, I like that. That's a good one. Um you don't have to put the team in. You you can if you're if you hit July sixteenth, I you I don't care who it's with. You're good. <laughs> you're good by me, Jay. Um, here's my day because I would not. By the way, I would not be I would not be surprised if it was announced like an, an offer sheet agreed to the first week of of free agency. I I could see some team being like I, I'm gonna bet on DJ being mm -hmm. able to get healthy and give him something he says it's good enough for me. But I'm gonna say April thirtieth. I'm going to say the Tuesday after the draft, okay? Draft happens. DJ's doing much better. Looking like he's got the clean bill of health. Somebody didn't get who they wanted in the draft, or, or they everybody pushed it back and said, you know what? 
DJ, you get healthy. Let's let the draft pass, and and we'll revisit this if we don't get what we want, and we'll pay you. And then they come back, and and DJ signs after the draft. Um, that feels like a possibility to me. Um, as as a way that people are going to want to see if they can find another option to fill a spot there. But yeah, I, I it's a curious case, man. I I I have no idea how it ends. There was a lot of a lot of flowers dropped uh, at the feet of yes. CJ reader by just about everybody that we talked to um, of people that would love to have him back. They know what he means They're Everybody's still a little pissed off that he got hurt. And, and so I, I'm, I'm really curious to see um, the Bengals aggression, but they didn't really hide it. It's again, it's the other side of the thing we were saying earlier about mixing. Like you're not, you're not hearing that. You weren't hearing the man. We would just love to find a way to bring DJ Reader back. We hope we can. That that that's, you know, not so much the other country, but that was being said a lot about DJ Reader, which you know they you know he's beloved in that building. There's just there's there's just no question. And so, um, again, we'll see we'll see where all that where all that falls. All right, Arby's time, right, Jay? Yeah. I mean, it's combine. This is like you could do a whole Arby's show <laughs> after the combine. So if, if we, we can pick our best one or two, if you feel like you got to get a couple off your chest uh, to, to get our, uh, our Indianapolis stories out there that are, we are allowed to tell some, <laughs> some can be just, you know, let's just keep that to ourselves. Um, but uh, what do you, what do you got? Well, my first one, I know um, a lot, I, a lot of reporters already put it out on social media, but I was lamenting the fact that, my stay in Indy was so short. I was in Florida on a vacation. I came back Tuesday night, so I missed Zach and Duke. Came over Wednesday morning, and I was leaving to go home Thursday afternoon. And I was writing my stories. I was like, oh, you know, it kind of sucks this year that I, I didn't get to go to St. Elmo's or Harry and Izzy's and get the world-famous shrimp cocktail. And then I look up, and there's girls with cameras taking video and guys in tuxedos carrying a tray around. And they had a tray full of uh, St. Elmo shrimp cocktail and they were passing it out to all the media in the media room. And so I, I got my fix and um, one, one was enough. It, it lit me up. I, I, I was like, Oh, if I'm only going to eat one, I can just scoop that stuff right up and have a, I don't know if you, if, if you guys have never had it before you got to get it. It's, it's crazy hot. The horseradish is, it just opens your sinuses. It makes you cry. Um, but it was, it was a great way to end the combine because I was, I was wrapping up my last story. I was getting ready to hit the road, and I was kind of kicking myself for I didn't have time to go to St. Elmo's, and St. Elmo's came to me. Unbelievable. Um, all I'll say is this. I'll do a quick one because we, we got to get out of here. Um, is I was attacked by a man on a unicycle, <laughs> and it was startling, and I was not prepared for it. It was early in the morning, and I was walking down to go to the Westin, and it was cold. And, I, you know, I'd been out late the night before, so everything's a little really? kind of like I'm just trying to kind of get through things. And a man on a unicycle is coming full speed right at me, and he's waving his arms like he's doing – like he's practicing some kind of jousting or something, and he's weaving in and out. And I'm like, this is not good. I, I've, I've never seen anything quite like this before. And he comes right at me, and he at the last second wheels around me and goes over a tree and goes past me. And I was like, I was just not prepared for that. <laughs> And that, and that's kind of like how I felt. Like I'm just seeing things the whole time. Like I, I'm not prepared for that. 
uh, right now. There's so many other stories I love to do, but I can't. We got to wrap it up. Jay, we're back in the saddle. I'm super excited about it. We'll be back yes. on Wednesday, too, doing our show every week. So great to have you back here. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening to this episode of The Growler. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you on Wednesday. Have a good one, everybody.